Welcome to episode 70 of the Fertility Podcast. I didn't actually release one last week. You won't notice if you're not listening to these in order. But I had one of those crazy weeks that just went so quick. So my apologies if you're wondering what happened. However, I've been having some really fabulous chats with people. So you've got some really good episodes coming up. If this is the first time you've heard the Fertility Podcast, hi, welcome. My name's Natalie and I'm your host. And um, in 2014, once successfully pregnant after fertility treatment, I launched this podcast. I've got a background in radio and I just felt that there was a place for a a regular podcast about stuff that affects you having a family. So it might be infertility issues and the fact that you're going through fertility treatment. It might be that actually it just wasn't meant to be and you're now trying to get your head around dealing with a life childless. It might be you've chosen to adopt. You might be thinking about a surrogate. You might be on your own and wondering what the options are for you. And if that's the case, then this episode will be of particular interest because we're going to be hearing from an egg donor and then an organisation who provide a donor programme for people to donate to and also recipients. So first up, I'm going to introduce Amelia, who is... Egg donor and let her tell her story. I'm really curious as to speaking to my next guest because the lady I met on Twitter, as you know if you've listened to the podcast before, I love the people that I find on Twitter, who is an egg donor. And I'm going to now welcome Amelia Abbey to the podcast. Amelia, welcome. Hello. I was really keen. I saw you, I saw what you were tweeting about. I'm going to get you to tell your story and, and how you've kind of found yourself in the position that you're in. So if, if you're happy to, just tell me a bit of your background with regards to your journey to try and start a family. Well, my husband has cystic fibrosis, so he doesn't actually produce any sperm. So obviously that was the first thing that stopped us being able to have a child. And I've got quite a lot of gynecology problems myself, which would mean that I wouldn't be able to carry a pregnancy. Um, And my husband's quite old for for CF terms. So there was not a lot of options with us. And we sort of talked about it quite a lot. And uh, we just decided that with his age and his CF and all the other hurdles that were in our way, that we would be okay with not having a child because it was just too complicated and expensive, you know, sort of expenses that we wouldn't be able to to run to. So sort of we decided that it wasn't wasn't really going to be for us. And with that conversation, did you seek any external support to, to talk things through? Did you reach out to, I don't know, a, a counsellor or, or friends and family or was it just quite a, a closed thing that the pair of you discussed and then... You, you've now told family? Yeah, I mean, obviously, from my husband's point of view, he knew for sort of the last 20 years that he um, couldn't father a child. It was more my side of things when, when we met and realised that I had problems too. So as a couple, it wasn't going to work. So yeah, it, it took a took a while. But, you know, there was always the, the thought that when we first met, there was always the thought that children might not happen for us because of his cystic fibrosis but then when it became real obviously it did hurt for a while but family weren't too shocked because they already know that it was a, a potential for us anyway so then um, I spoke to my friends quite a lot and I did I did clam up the thing with with infertility people will never understand it unless they're going through it themselves and and they can't you can't expect them to so they can sympathize but they'll never understand and that got quite frustrating in a way that was before the days that I was sort of on Twitter and and all that kind of thing and I didn't really I I wrote some articles about infertility and things like that but I didn't really I wasn't really into social media and things back then and how cathartic and I ask this often but how, how have you found the whole blogging process and what you've been doing online 
Oh, it's wonderful. Because I'm a writer anyway, so I've always been in the habit of writing down my feelings, and it's it's like um it's like a counselling for me because just writing it down feels like I've just chewed the ears off of someone and spoken about how I'm feeling. And and the good thing with writing is that you know, people don't answer; it doesn't answer back. You know, so yeah. you don't have to worry about other people's opinions. And and as I got more confident with my writing and sort of sharing my story, I would start to share my articles out there, and then I was quite um surprised at how well they went down and how supportive people were being um because I always thought you know people wouldn't want to read them and comment and things because infertility is just something you just don't talk about you know so I was quite surprised by the amount of support that we received and at that stage you were talking about your decision as a couple to 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 not try and have a family well it wasn't really a decision it's because there weren't there weren't the options for us unless we won the lottery or something you know because I say that you know he doesn't produce any sperm so we'd need a sperm donor I can't carry so I'd need to have egg retrieval myself and plus a surrogate um so obviously you're talking about financially it wasn't viable yeah you know and plus you know so with his age and diagnosis we thought you know it's just it, it's not sort of the best environment really to bring a baby in to our family where his health has to come first you know he couldn't deal with sleepless nights and yeah. all of that thing so you know that's why we thought you know really even if we could it's not really fair you know on on him or a baby we had to look at the whole thing really i'm 32 now okay so how long have you guys been together it'll be eight years in a couple of months so uh, you know a lot to take on in relationship sense anyway because you've obviously got the inevitable with with what your husband is is dealing with and there's a lot of things there like you say your writing has been a, a massive help and and i'm interested to know how then that has moved you into where you are now when i um decided that I wanted to donate eggs I think when I started to tell people people weren't really surprised when I said that I was going to blog throughout the whole process um, because they know that I write and I wanted to when I decided I was going to write about it I made a promise to myself that I was going to write about every single aspect all the highs lows the difficult times the happy times all the emotions and everything because I didn't want to I didn't want to fluff anything I didn't want to give anybody a false impression of what it's like to donate eggs and I wanted to be completely honest you know, I didn't want it to be like a fairy tale. You know, I wanted people to know that they could go to my blog and get a completely honest account of how it feels to donate eggs. And I will share your blog on the show notes for this, but just tell me some of the low points. I mean, for people that don't understand anything about what is involved if you are going to donate your eggs, because you have to go through the drug stimulation that you do for a fertility cycle, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, for me, there there weren't really that many low points. I mean, the hormones really uh, take quite a, quite a big effect, and I'm quite a sensitive, emotional person anyway. So um, I did get quite easily emotional, but it was sort of a, a running joke in our house. Really, we'd be watching a film, and because my husband knows me so well, he would just, without even looking at me, just pass me a box of tissues and go, uh-huh. "There you go," because he'd know that I'd be blubbing my eyes out, which is you know apart from the hormones it's not really that far from normal for me you know so um and there were there were some mood swings um but again sometimes that's not too far from normal for me um so um it wasn't there weren't really any low points for me I I really enjoyed the whole process and how many times have you done it uh twice 
And how many eggs have you donated? 29. Wow, 29 yeah. eggs. And so are you then aware of, of anything that happens next? Well, with my first cycle, they do keep you up to date. But with my second cycle, they weren't great at, at keeping me up to date. But Did with you my go first... to the same clinic both times? No, uh, different ones. Why was that? Only because the, the first agency I went with, which was Altrui, they're based in London. Well, the, the clinic is based in London and I live in Colchester. So it was more just a practicality point of view because as you get into certainly the second week of the um, stimulation you're having scans and blood tests and um, visits there every other day so it was more just the practicality of going up and down to London I've, I've said before I said if, if the clinic was closer to me I'd do three four more cycles you know in a heartbeat and um, that was the only thing that was stopping me because I work full-time um, and obviously it's quite a long way away so that was that was the only thing. So talk know. me through the time and cost implication for you. Or are you rewarded? You get your travel expenses covered um, with £750, which like, obviously, if you're going up and down to London and things, you know, it's, it's quite expensive. But they want to make sure that you're not out of pocket for donating something. And what about time off work? You were taking holidays? Yeah, I was using um, some annual leave. Um, and, and thankfully, both times, uh, my managers were very supportive to what I was doing. So they were very, very good at working out my shifts. And so you told them what you were doing? Yes, yeah, yeah. I've always been very open and honest with everybody. That's great. Yeah. And so from your point of view, from a kind of emotional detachment from it, knowing that with the history that, you know, you've had gynecologically and, you know, what you knew when you when you got together with your partner, were you at the point that you did the egg donation in a good place to do it, let's say? Had you made sure of that before you went into it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We knew, you know, almost as soon as we got together that we weren't going to have children. And it was a good three, four years after we found that out that I felt in a place that I could move on and help other people. You know, plus with the egg donations, you have to go through counselling anyway. So they make sure that you're in a good place and you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're emotionally healthy enough to go through it as well. But I wanted to make sure because I talked about it a few years before, but I just thought, no, I'm not I'm not ready to do this yet. So when I was, I came back to it. Am I right in saying that at 32, you could continue to your 35 if you wanted to do yeah. it again? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And before we talk about what you're doing now, what, what would you say to anybody listening who might be thinking, okay, this is something that, you know, I've thought about and I, I'm really interested and serious about doing? Yeah, look into it. The screening is um, really thorough. Um, so, you know, there, there's no um, guarantee that people will be able to do it. Obviously, they, they screen for everything. But even the thought of wanting to come forward and donate eggs is, is an amazing start. You know, so if it's something that you're thinking about that you'd like to do, absolutely come forward and, and uh, inquire about it. So you're now working with Altrui, who you mentioned, and I've I've mentioned them before as uh, the egg donor partner that clinics use their programmes for. And you're working with them now and you have a crowdfunding project going on. So just talk me through how that conversation started. I've been emailing Altrui again for quite a while because I feel so passionate about the egg donation. I really wanted to do something else to help. Now I've finished doing sort of, you know, the physical egg donations. I didn't want it to be the end of the, the journey, so to speak. And I really wanted not to toot my own horn, but I think I, I think I have a lot to give in a way of supporting other donors and people who are going to receive because obviously I, I understand from an inter infertility point of view, which I think is what made me quite unique as an egg donor because most people have already finished their own families um, and I haven't met anybody yet who's donated because they can't have their own children. So I think I'm in a, a place where I can really support people and I'm also a nurse so I think that's the natural side of me anyway yeah. that I want to help people out okay. so after I'd nagged Altrui for quite a while about please let me help um, 
she came back to me a couple of weeks ago with right um, this this crowdfunding page and told me about this couple who really need some help. Tell me about the couple. Well, they've been trying to have a baby for 12 years this year. Uh, they started um, when they'd been married um, a few years. Um, she got pregnant um, and then she had a stillborn um, at uh, 23 weeks gestation, which obviously is just heartbreaking, awful. But then she had two more stillborns. And then after that, she had three ectopic pregnancies. And obviously at that point, she lost her um, fallopian tubes. So there was no more chance of uh, becoming pregnant naturally. So then they tried IVF and her own eggs wouldn't stimulate. And they could only retrieve one, which didn't fertilise, so it couldn't even be transferred back. And then they went to Altrui to get an egg donor, and they got, I think she said, nine eggs retrieved and five fertilised. Right. But then it was transferred back and um, it didn't take. Um, it was a negative pregnancy. So now they're, they're at the point that they want to try again, um, but there's no more NHS funding. So they're trying to raise money, which is why I came in. <laughs> okay. From a funding point of view, it's so almost contentious when people hear about funding being cut and the perception I talk about often on this podcast of that I think society have of fertility treatment is that it's almost a lifestyle choice which we know it's so not a lifestyle choice what kind of reception have you had so far how's it doing we're up to 575 so far so it's a great start but we've got a long way to go which is why we're we're trying to brainstorm lots of other fundraising ideas and uh, see what we can come up with yeah it's a good start because I think with anything to do with crowdfunding as well I mean it's a brilliant platform to get it out there but like you say it's just making people actually commit to it and I I wish you every bit of luck with what you're trying to do and so you're you're getting to speak with this couple are you keeping a bit of a distance no I'm in close contact okay so there's that emotional tie now and is that okay yeah that's fine with me I think people know me by now I can't I don't take on anything that I don't give sound like you jump in yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, that's me. I, I do get emotionally attached to everything that I do. And what's the target for the fundraising? £8,000. Right. So it's a, it's a big target, but fertility treatment is not cheap. <laughs> and just with regards to the investigations that the couple have had, I don't know whether you know this, the fact that she's had the treatment and she's not been able to carry it, they're looking into the things affecting recurrent miscarriage. Has that been, that's been addressed? I think at the beginning, with the reason for the stillbirth, um, she was diagnosed with an incompetent cervix. Um um, which I don't know if people know much about that. It's where the, the cervix can't keep itself closed um, and you um, go into early labour. Mm. Um, but a lot of the time when women have that, they can have a stitch put in the cervix to keep it closed until they're at a full-term pregnancy and ready for um, labour. So when she had this stitch put in after the three stillbirths, obviously they were quite optimistic and thought that their problems were over and it was going to be on, go on to be a successful pregnancy. Um, but obviously that didn't happen because she then had three ectopic pregnancies. Wow, so, it's just remarkable yeah. to to hear that you know despite all of that they're they're determined they're still determined going to, to try and start their family. Well, let's let's keep everything crossed and and just hats off to you, Amelia. I wish you the best of luck, um, and I hope that you know putting it out on this podcast, you never know, might stir up a bit more support for people. I hope so. So we'll put the crowdfunding page and your blog all on the show notes for this episode, Thank you. and we'll keep in touch because I'll, I'll I'll be watching your progress on Twitter. Thank you very much, and best of luck with it. Okay. Thanks for talking to me. No pleasure. You take care. You take care too. Bye. Bye. 
I'm now going to welcome Alison Bagshaw to the podcast, who's the founder of Altrui, who you would have heard Amelia talking about. And Alison's here to just explain more about what the organisation does. So, Alison, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks. Good today, thank you. Yep, nice to talk to you. Well, I was really keen. I mean, I've heard you talked about from different clinics that I've visited. And obviously, having spoken with Amelia about her journey as an egg donor, I was just really interested to talk with you more, to, to get a bit more awareness and understanding about how you operate because it's pretty unique what you've set up and there is a lovely video on your website that I'm going to put a link to on the show notes for this episode so just talk to me a bit about your journey starting Altrui because your background is in fertility as a nurse isn't it? Well yes you're right actually it's infertility and I was the senior counsellor at Guy's and St Thomas's NHS and I was infertility for oh gosh about 25 years really and working in a lot of different clinics and during that time I saw lots and lots and lots of people who had been through a pretty difficult journey. They came out of it very vulnerable, very lost, very bewildered and at that time which was what seven years ago now they were left being told that they just had to go overseas to find an egg donor and I thought actually you know what not necessarily it's about raising awareness in the UK telling people that they can do this dispelling the myths and the fantasies that go around egg donation and actually deciding to leave the job I had at Guy's and to actually start Altrui which I did purely to get people the help that they needed and that's what we do is we find altruistic egg donors for recipients who need the help. And when you talk about the myths associated with egg donation, is, is that more linked to people having to travel abroad or is it about the, the, how the process works? What do, what do people get wrong when they think about it? Well, firstly, there's, there's a whole lot of information out there that's wrong. From both the recipient side, they fear about the identifying information that's there at the end of the day. They are worried about the sort of people that come forward they're worried about the screening that happens or doesn't happen and in the UK that that's really second to none but from the donor's side which is what's really important is that they um, think that it's going to be painful that it's going to be a really difficult journey and for some it actually can be harder than for others but we are here to make it as easy as we can and it's actually about that fear too of Um, the identifying information again from the other side. So the whole point of Altrui, the whole reason I set this up and what I have is to take away a lot of that, those problems that I can actually reassure everybody that it's not painful. It doesn't affect your fertility. There are all these sort of myths that, that are out there. And it's actually giving people accurate information and actually taking them through in a very supportive role Um, through the whole process so that people feel that it's a good thing to do, it's the right thing to do, and they feel very safe in doing it. The chat that I had with Amelia about her journey, and I'd asked her about the kind of downside of it, which she said that there wasn't really any, and it was was really reassuring, I think, to hear from her that it was a really positive experience for her as an egg donor. And I'm just interested as a recipient of... an egg how you work with couples from from that sense you talk about people that have really been through the mill and they've probably been told that their own family isn't isn't going to be and and you talk about how you match couples really carefully and and you support them throughout how it's how it's one-to-one donation so I mean what kind of concerns I know you talked about the identity what other kind of concerns do, do people who are working with an egg donor have I think it takes a long time to adjust to the fact that they need help from somebody else that they don't know I think that's a really big leap and it's a leap of faith um, to actually sort of 
have our help and input in that. And it's also a massive leap on actually accepting a donor really into this relationship, if there is one. And single women, it's sort of slightly different. So I think it's about actually the unknown. It's a, it's about their fear of, um, you know, what if it goes wrong? It's almost like a child's going to come out with green hair and pixie ears and just look completely different from them. It's It's feeling that they can't connect with that child in the future, that fear that there will be somebody there who they can't relate to. And it's all of that which just takes a bit of time to get them from A to to B, really. Um, And I think it's what people need is that time to actually adjust to the fact they need the help of the donor. I have a scenario in mind of a a close friend who I know has had advice from the clinic that that her and her husband have been going to that egg donation is probably where they need to go next because they've had a couple of failed rounds of of IVF. And Mm -hmm. I, I know that she's finding it quite hard to talk about with her other half in that he's adamant that that's not something that he'd consider so faced with the option of either no child or a child with an egg donor I mean have you found that from a male point of view it's quite a hard thing for a guy to take on and that women are more open to it or is there is there no differentiation between the sexes I think there's not really too much for generalization I think some men just go along with it but I think it's for women it's it's a drive it's a massive drive to be a mum for for I think a large proportion of women and the men tend to go along with it but it's so important to talk this all out with somebody independent to start with because there are these fears of the future. There are fears about what's going to happen in the unknown. And I think if you can get that sorted out at the very beginning, the men tend to then feel much more engaged in the process. But with Altrui, what I do is match people so carefully to try and take some of this out of it. And I think his couples know, or single or women just know that I'll do everything I can to actually, I don't just match any donor with any recipient. I do take a lot of care over that process and make sure that as far as I can, that there's a physical similarity, that they have the same value system, the same interests, the same sort of background. Because at the end of the day, what I want from all of this is that if there was contact in the long-term future, that the donor and the recipient were just like each other, that they could sit down with a cup of coffee and chat about other things as well. And that's what I really wanted to do. So I think by getting it right, it takes an awful lot of the sting out of the donation process for recipients. So with regards to that contact in the future, as a recipient, do you have the option to have no contact or does it have to be a, a something in the future? No, it is a child's or donor-conceived person's legal right to know about their heritage and their origins and their genetic background. So they have the right to go to the HSEA when they're 16 to get non-identifying information and they have the legal right to know the donor's identity at 18. Some people, particularly those from a different background, different ethnicity, decide not to tell a child about the way it was created. Um, That's their decision uh, I think, um, but most people who come through us, certainly the donors know that this potential is going to be there and they're quite okay with that. Um, the recipients, they they do know, but I think that most of the people who come to us have been through that bad journey of fertility, whether it's through chemotherapy or early menopause or they've gone through repeated cycles of IVF. And it's very difficult then to, you know, sort of pretend that 
this isn't a donor child for, for quite a lot of situations. And because friends and family know about it, there's absolutely no need to be fearful or to be embarrassed about this. It's, it's just one of those things that happens and they need help. So most people do end up telling a child about its heritage. And of course, that child, as I said, has that legal right to know. And you talked about that conversation with an independent person whilst you're trying to go through at the early stages is that something old truey offer if, if a couple are thinking about it could they come to you and kind of talk it through as a starting point well i talk about altrui and about how we match and all of that but i think what people need is time to say look it's okay the one thing that needing a donor can give you is actually time now you need the time to heal up from what you've been through and to actually get to grips with what the future is going to bring and i think that really does need to be with an independent person like a counselor and we give everybody contact details of really good counsellors who are not there to to judge them but to just take them through the process and to inform them what their options are um, just talk them through the sort of grief and the loss that they're probably feeling at that stage and at the end of the day that is so valuable and I really totally support that obviously because I was in that role anyway but I think particularly in this situation where people need to go into it with their eyes wide open. And as you said earlier, Natalie, that the you know, partners, husbands, they need to have that chance as well because it, it really is bringing somebody, albeit indirectly, into a relationship. Because also there's the information on your website about how you only work with UK donors and so people don't have to have that misunderstanding that it, it's going to be somebody from another country to, to kind of try and get their head around as well. So I think that's a really interesting thing for people to understand that you've managed to build up your, your donor programme to a point that you are just working with people in this country. We have always only worked with UK donors. We don't bring people in from overseas to donate in the UK. We have occasionally got people who are actually living over here sort of four or eight years, and particularly people from a different heritage. You know, we have women who have come from China or India they might be working in the UK for quite a number of years but they are all based here we don't actually bring anybody in but uh, I think probably off the top of my head 90 plus percent of people are just UK women who are like you and I really. I wanted to talk to you obviously about Amelia who's one of your egg donors who told her story and it was it was wonderful to hear that it'd been a really positive experience for her and so much so that she was keen to do more work with you and is now working with you with this crowdfunding project that you're trying to help a couple who have had failed cycles raise the funds for further cycles that kind of involvement now is that is that a new thing with you no it's not it's just a one-off this poor lady has been through the most dreadful time and we got her a donor and unfortunately despite everything it wasn't a great response it was nobody's fault it was just one of those things that can happen and she was just this poor person was just heartbroken and I just felt that I needed to do what I can and we do occasionally do we do actually um, fairly regularly do pro, pro bono cases and I actually felt this was the one thing where I wanted to put my back behind Amelia has been a one of our donors and she's just so eloquent and she's so good at doing this sort of thing and she's been very keen to help in some capacity and I thought okay if I put her in touch with this recipient she could actually help because this lady has got no she had funding for the first cycle and she's got no uh, resources herself and we just thought it really is such an important I, I don't know I just sort of somehow taken this on and thought right I'll put the two together and just see if 
she can find um, a way of getting the funds for a treatment cycle. I mean, obviously, we would do our bit with, with no charge at all. Because with regards to the cost of an egg donor, can you just give me an idea? Because when people are talking about if they've had failed fertility treatments, you know, it's just constant figures that they're having to look at to try and, you know, get their head around how much they spend before they either say enough's enough or they completely go down a different route, say it's adoption or, or what have you. If if people are considering egg donation... is I, I think that with our fees and with the donor compensation and with the clinical fees, I think on average, give or take... I think people are looking at about £10,000 because that they've got to pay for their treatment and the donor and they also have to pay for freezing, which is the other thing too, which comes into that package. If people are listening and they haven't heard about Alturi, because I know you work with a number of clinics, how, how would, say, somebody goes to their clinic and their clinic aren't working with you? Can, can they make that connection with you and then be at their clinic still or is it more complicated? Um, it is a lot more complicated. With all the centres that we work with, we have what they call a third-party agreement, which is um, a licence under the HFEA. So it's we would only work with clinics that we have that with. And the reason is, is that it's so important to me to be able to look after the donor going through the treatment. If there's a problem, I get straight in touch with the consultants. If we want to know what's going on, we're able to get through to the clinics. We're able to have quite a large say in how that donor is looked after. And the one thing that I feel strongly about is we can make sure that it's a one-to-one donation that we absolutely, and those donors are never asked to, to do it again by any other clinical team. So we can do a lot of looking after that donor going through. So, no, I can't just work with anybody. It takes months and months to get this sorted out with the licensed treatment centre. Okay. Have you heard examples of people moving clinics to be able to work with you then if they are choosing to? Yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. Yes, I have. And it's really important. I mean, our, our pregnancy rates are second to none. I, I actually think we're at 80% on many of the clinics we're working with. It's a one-to-one donation. It is absolutely the best way for people to go. And you put that down to the, the, the level of research that you do with your matches? No, it's it's not really that. It's about getting it streamlined for the donors. It's getting the right treatment processes for them to, to keep it absolutely safe for that donor and to get the, the best number of eggs that are mature, which it doesn't exceed what should be done. Mm. So it's actually getting the right treatment protocol for those donors. And it's a one-to-one donation. So even if there is an issue with the male factor, if there's a male factor issue here, that good number of eggs from a healthy young woman, that's what makes this work. And as I say, we are actually beating America at the moment. Amazing. Um, we're well above America. And to give an idea of kind of time frame, I know on your website you say it's about three months to match a donor to a recipient. It is. It can take longer and it depends on the recipient. We have some recipients who are perhaps not quite ready for this. They, they may have unrealistic expectations of the sort of person that can help these women who come forward are so kind i mean you've talked to amelia she's absolutely fantastic and she's like the everybody that we go we take through they are just the nicest of people they're kind they're generous they're compassionate and but um some of them may not have a first class degree some of them um may have uh, maybe slightly taller or shorter than the recipients require so it's really important that um you know that the recipients feel comfortable with 
the 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 choice that they have and they you know that's what can take the time is if I just can't find that right person for them sure and just finally if if somebody's listening and thinking I want to be an egg donor are you still looking yes we definitely need egg donors we have we would welcome you with open arms if anybody's listening to this it's something that we would take you through there's never any obligation or pressure to continue with this but you do need to know what's involved we would like to just talk you through that process and to also reassure you. And, and I think the first port of call is to just have a look at the website, go onto our Facebook page, look at the reviews, just get a sense of who we are as well. Because if you're going to be an egg donor, I think the way we do it is the right way. Well, Alison, it's been lovely to talk to you. And I think it's a, an, a, a wonderful thing that there are women that are able to do this and, and help others. And I wish you the best of luck with Thank everything. Thank you very much. I'm going to put all the details, as I said at the start of the website, on the show notes for this episode so people can watch the different videos and you've got wonderful reviews from recipients and donors on there and like you said there's lots of information and where are you based? Well we're based in the north of England but it's almost irrelevant because geographically we work with the whole of the country. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, so there's no sort of geographical lines here at all. It's all it's all it's where the clinics are really. Yeah. All right, Alison. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely. Thank to you chat. very much, Natalie. Nice okay. to talk to you. Bye. Bye. All the details for this episode are going to be on the show notes, which are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash egg. Do have a look if you've been thinking whilst listening that this is something for you. Also, if you've been listening to the podcast and thinking, I want to help this podcast go from strength to strength, you might have heard me mention that I've now launched a Patreon page, which enables you to be a patron of my podcast. And what that basically means is that you can pledge a a monthly amount to help me continue to make this podcast because I don't get any money for it. However, that is my mission for 2017. Um, I make this podcast out of pure passion and I find it such a privilege to get to talk to the people that I do and I hope that it is of use to you I hope that if you have been digging around different episodes that you found stuff I have had a couple of emails asking me about things I have not yet covered which is so helpful because it gives me more ideas with that in mind have a look at the show notes for the patreon page details which is again the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash egg and that's where you'll find all the details I don't want to give you loads of links it's just too much especially if you're walking your dog if you'd like to email me and let me know something that you think I should cover feel free or if you just want to share your story my email is natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com you can subscribe to this podcast at the website you can do it by iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker and you know what wherever you go to hear it however you do it if you want to let me know what you think of it I just really welcome your feedback So that's it from me. Go off and enjoy the rest of your day, your evening, whatever you're up to, and um, do come back for my next episode. So until the next time, 